right, well, we're going to start. Glad you're here. Uh, I forgot to mention we have intercessory prayer on Friday night. Uh, so that starts at 7, Miami time, of course, which technically means we go about 7.15, 7.30. So uh, it's a cultural thing if, you've if you're new to Miami. My wife's like, why do you say 7 and then start at 7.15 or 7.30? And I'm like, because if I say 7.30, who, what time are we going to start? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did something down here one time in Miami. It was a, a wedding, and um, the bride shows up like two hours late to the wedding. No lie. And that was my first experience. And so next time I did a Dominican wedding, I said, "Listen, I'm just going to stay home, and you just call me when the bride gets there, and I'll head over." Right? It was like two hours late. She showed up. Contrast that. I go up where my, my dad's family's from, and uh, I'm standing doing the same thing, and I'm standing in the hallway, and the, the, the service is supposed to start at 11, so I, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I'm standing in the hallway talking and everything, and my aunt comes and gets me and goes, Kevin, it's time to start, and then she grabs me and brings me into the room, you know, and I'm thinking everybody's still going to be mulling around. Everybody was sitting in their chairs ready to go at 11 on the dot. I was like, whoa, I've been out of this for a while, so... Anyway, uh, intercessory prayer on Friday night here. We pray for the city. We're really interceding into areas of culture. But if you need prayer and need ministry prayer, um, that's also a time for you. Uh, we, we, at the end, we usually finish hopefully like 8.30-ish, 9 o'clock. And if you need prayer for anything, I typically stay around with a few of the radicals, and we will pray for people. So if you need prayer, uh, come this Friday, and we will pray for you. If you know anybody that needs prayer, bring them too. So we're doing a series on vision. And so we've been talking about a vision for your faith, a vision for your family, uh, five key areas of your life, your faith, your family, your finances, your future, and what was the other one? I forgot. I'm completely blanking out, but uh, friendships, relationships. So there's, those are like really the five key areas of our life that we need to have a vision for. And so today we're talking about a vision for your finances. Nothing excites the people of God quite like when the Bible talks about money. Nothing offends the people of God quite like when the Bible talks about money. And the reason for that is that the Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there our heart is. Nothing reveals the heart quite like finances. But what we have to understand is that as a culture, when it comes to marriage issues, the number one cause for marriage stress and problems, thank you, didn't even have to say it, is finances. The number one cause for personal stress and personal issues is finances. So clearly, finances are a key area of our life. And if there's a key area of your life, you can rest assured that the Bible speaks about it. So does the Bible speak about it? A lot. A lot. Lots of equations and relationships to money. It's not silent on the matter at all. And Jesus doesn't even blink when he talks about money. The Bible doesn't even, it just tells you what time it is. And so the financial principles of God's word are not just good ideas. So what happens is, is what we have the temptation of doing, and this is, uh, this is what happens a lot of times, what happens when it, when, when it comes to Christians, is we hear the word of God, and we have a choice when we hear it. When we hear it, we can ignore it. Agreed? Of course, we would never acknowledge it. We just ignore the word of God, but we do it all the time. So we have a, when, when the word is taught to us or when the principles are brought to us, we have a choice to either ignore it or obey them and apply them. The wise obey them and apply, apply them. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and, and does what? Does them, 
is the builder who puts their house upon the rock. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and ignores them is the one who builds a house upon sand. The rains come, the winds blow, one house falls, one house stands. What's interesting is that the rains came upon both houses. The winds came upon both houses. And the determining factor of which house stood was the one who obeyed what Jesus had told them to do. That's the difference. You know, and so we have to look at that in that light and understand that what God is telling us to do, he's telling us to the purposes of having our houses stand and having our lives weather the storms. And as a believer, we go through things. It doesn't mean that, we don't, we, that things don't happen to us, but the difference of the Christian is through faithfulness, we go through it. We don't, it doesn't sink you. That's the difference. This is the God of redemption. This is the God of victory. He's not the God of there's never going to be a problem in your life. You know, you're going to have problems but you're gonna go through the problem and the problem is not gonna consume you and the problem is not gonna decimate you. You're going to go forward. That's the, glory of the, that's the glory of the gospel. So the truths of God's word liberate are to given to you to free you and to elevate you and the wise listen. John David Rockefeller, anybody know who that guy was? Really standard oil, right? Exxon, mobile, you know, get the picture. <laughs> He's a pretty, pretty wealthy dude. Um, so he, he died and they asked his financial planner they said, how much did he leave? You know what the answer was? All of it. <laughs> how, much, how much did John David Rockefeller, how much did he leave? And the financial player, they said, dude, he left it all. He didn't take any of it with him. What you need to understand from the principle of the kingdom is that money is never the problem with the Lord. Possessions are never the problem with the Lord. Those are not issues to him. He does have no problem with money. He has no problem with possessions. His problem is the direction in which those things are focused. Uh, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for life does not consist of one's possessions. Building your life and saying, this is the substance of my life is based upon my stock portfolio, based upon how many houses I own, or based upon what my zeros are in my bank account, even if it is zero, that's the sum of my life, good or bad, even if your bank account is zero, that is not the sum of your life. Or whether you have 10 zeros in your, with a one or 10 or whatever attached to it, that again is not the sum of your life. And so where the Bible does not have a problem with possessions, it doesn't have a problem with money, the issue is where is that directed and where's the focus of that? And as a Christian, we have to understand this principle. This is really important for us to understand, is this idea of lordship and discipleship. Okay, so when we come to Christ, we confess him his Lord of our hearts and of our spirit. And now he has mastery and lordship over our spirit. But what has to happen as a disciple is we have to allow his lordship to integrate into all of the areas of our life. And you say, well, what does that mean? There's lots of Christians who claim Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is not the Lord of their body. There's lots of Christians who claim Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is not the Lord of their sexuality. There's lots of Christians who claim Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is not the Lord of their finances. Jesus is not the Lord of their time. You get the picture? So to be a disciple is to allow the lordship of Christ to infiltrate every area of our life. That's the point. And so that's, that's really what it means to grow in that, that the Lord, we, we move from our positions, we renew our mind into kingdom thinking. Big point. There's cultural thinking and there's kingdom thinking. Cultural thinking is the way the world is. That's the culture. The Bible uses the word cosmos and it means system of thought. So the world, when the Bible speaks of the world, this is important for Christians who understand the world, like think like the world's a place. Oh, we gotta get out of the world. Gotta get out of the world. Gotta be out of that world. Don't do anything worldly, get out of the world. When the Bible's talking about that, it's talking about a system of thinking. 
That's why it says you're in this world, this cosmos, but you are not of it. You are in a system of thought, but your way of thinking and processing is not according to the world in which you find yourself. That's what it's saying. It's not talking about a physical place. It's talking about a manner. That's what it means to be the light of the world. There are people of greed, you're people of generosity. There are people of hurt and pain, you're people of healing and, and, and kindness and compassion and love. That's what it means. Everybody's out for themselves. Well, you're out to add value to people. You see the difference? You're thinking down, down kingdom lines and not down culture lines. That's what it means as well. So discipleship is that. Obedience to God's commands always results in, plus, in blessing. Always. The, the, the commands that the Lord gives to us are not burdensome. They are to bless us. They are to position us. What obedience to the things that God says shifts your position. Okay? So we're talking about finances. God has a financial plan. Here it is. He's trying to get you to do the things to position yourself underneath the economy of heaven. You say, well, I'm under the economy of heaven. I have Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. You have to activate the principles, the economic and the financial principles that the kingdom gives you. You can't get into your house without keys, correct? Unless you break a window or something, I mean, I guess, and then, you know, you might have some other problems besides that. We can't access things that are ours unless we have a key. You have to, get, you have to access. Heaven is full of realms and access points. There are places in which God has created for us that we cannot attain or access until we obey the condition upon which the promise is given. Jesus has died for the whole world, in case you don't know that. But is the whole world saved? No. But has Christ paid the price for the whole world? Yes. So that position exists. And the only way that a person can access that position is by doing the thing that the Lord has prescribed. They have to activate the key to access salvation. Every con God has rich promises, tons of them, and they're all predicated upon a responsory action of yours. Yes, there's blessing and favor, and that goes, that's kind of like goes with the territory, but there are other places that we can only attain when we operate under the conditions upon which he has given the promise, right? It's like driving a car on a highway. Is it good to go north in the southbound lane? No, right? You're going to have problems. And you keep wondering. Now, I can't understand why I can't get north going in the southbound lane. I just don't understand that. I don't understand why people keep hitting my car and all this other stuff, and on and on and on we go, because you're in the wrong lane. It's not that there isn't a way to get there. It's just that you're doing it the wrong way. You're outside of the, out of the designed function. The road is functioned to go north and south, right? But you want to go north while everybody else is going south. It's not going to work for you very well. It's the same principles of the kingdom. Okay? It says kingdom gospel. This is Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world. The gospel of the rule and reign of Christ. Not just in the hearts of salvation. That's a reduction of the gospel. Does it mean that, Christ, that salvation isn't important? Absolutely not. That is, the, that is the entry point upon which all of these other things are accessed. But there are Christians who've been saved 10, 20, 30 years, and they don't experience the issues that God has for them. They don't experience the power, the purposes, or the visions that God has for them. First of all, most likely because no one's ever told them that there actually is more. And then secondly, no one's ever told them how to get to that. Jesus has a kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. He didn't say salvation suffers violence. 
He said the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Christ, where the promises lie, is what the opposition to us is. The kingdom of heaven. So we're opposed by, to access the promises of God. But the violent take it by force. In other words, you got to know it's there. You got to put a knife in your teeth and a rag on your head, and you got to get down and dirty, and you got to go get it. That's the point. Accessing the promises of God's a street fight. It's what it is. You got to know that that's yours, and you got to go for it, and you got to stand on it, and you got to apply the principles faithfully, and you got to deal with the resistance that happens until you obtain what is yours. I just flash you back to the vision on Caleb. Caleb knew what was his, he knew it. Nobody had to tell Caleb what was his, he knew it. And so when the time came to dole out the promises, when the Israelites went into the promised land, Caleb went to the front of the line and he said, I know what's mine and I want what's mine. He didn't even ask what was his. God promised him land. He, what did Caleb ask for? He asked for a mountain. Did God promise him land? Did God promise him a mountain? No, God promised him land. But Caleb said, I don't want land. I believe God's abundant. I have been faithful to him all of these years. I have served him with my whole heart I want the mountain. You know what the Lord said? Give the man of faith the mountain. You believe I'm generous, you believe I'm willing, and you believe I have the resources to meet your need. Give it to him. This is how it works, guys. Oh, I'm just such a poor, lowly sinner. You know, you're a son and daughter. But the idea of operating as a son and daughter relates, again, back to obedience. This is a key understanding. It's not enough to know that we're son and daughters. That's a big point, but you got to know that you're not just a son and daughter. Jesus died to adopt you into the family. You say, I'm a servant of Christ. Yes. You say, I'm a friend of Jesus. Yes, but your high calling is son and daughter. That's the high calling of every believer. And son and daughter looks like something. And so we have to ask the question, what does it look like to be a son and daughter? Jesus gives it to us. There's multiple examples, but an easy one. Jesus says, you know, there was a son who told his father, I'll do it, and didn't do it. There was a son who told his father... I will do it and didn't do it. So one said, I'll do it, and he didn't. The other says, no way am I doing that, but he did it anyway. Jesus asked the question, which one was the son? The one who did it. So do we get the understanding of what it means to be a son and a daughter? And there's a big move within the church today, and everybody skipped to the Luda day, declaring sons and daughters, and I'm all for that. But the understanding has to be placed upon that, that when sons and daughters, what sons and daughters look like, they obey their father. Right? And not only sons and daughters obey their father, the responsibility of the son and daughter was to build their father's work, to build their father's, expand the business of their father. People say, oh, church isn't a business. I'm like, you got it all wrong. It's our father's business. We are about our father's business. Jesus said it's a business, and I'm all about it. And so should we. We should be all about our father's business in every way, shape, or form. That's where the glory is. Next slide. Peter opened up his mouth and he said, a truth I perceive, a truth I perceive, that God is no respecter of persons. This is good news to some of you, okay? It is not your background, it is not your upbringing, and it is not your educational status that is the determining point of blessing within the kingdom. Aren't you glad? In the world, it relates to your background, upbringing, and education. Now, this is not to say that these things aren't important. They are important. But as a child of God, they are not the determining factor of your success. They're not. That's good news. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you come from shot out. 
He doesn't care if you come from broken. He doesn't come, care if you come from every form of dysfunction known to man. If you will be faithful to him and you will be obedient to him and you will give yourself to him, he will bless you. Prayer of Jabez, born into the worst circumstances. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Expand my territory. Now allow me to cause plain. And the Lord heard his prayer. Hello. Didn't matter who Jabez was. What mattered is he called upon the Lord. What mattered is that he set his heart towards the things of God. Google had a saying. They said uh, a while back ago, I think this is correct. I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. They said, we only hire A students. And Facebook said, we'll hire the C students. <laughs> and, who's, and Facebook <laughs> dominated. And I'm, again, I'm not coming against you. If you're like a good grade student, don't, big, don't play fists on me. Don't let, go, go, go dropping some A's on me at the break. I'm not saying that. I did good in school too. But what the point is is that that does not qualify you in the kingdom. You understand? God is not a respecter of that. He's a respecter of a heart of faithfulness towards him. He will redeem you. Most of your CEOs and most of the big entrepreneurial pushes, most of them were, were, were college dropouts. Most of them never finished school. So if you're going to hire A students, they're all college grads in the engineering, particularly internet engineering, most of them dropped out of school. And that's not to say that you can't do it and you go through school. I'm not, I'm not coming against that. So please hear what I'm saying. Because that's our cultural norm. That's what we teach. While that's good, what would happen if you combined your education and your, your excellence of education and you submitted your education beneath a heart of faithfulness to the Lord? How much would God use that? How much more would he use that? Instead of exalting that, submit it and say, my passion for the Lord is going to, that is not what I'm going to draw my identity from. I'm going to draw my identity from this. And if you, if you come from nothing and you come from brokenness, stop drawing your identity from the brokenness. Draw your identity from the kingdom. The glorious gospel, that the Bible says, to us has been committed. I love it. The glorious gospel. <laughs> say it with me. The glorious gospel. <laughs> Don't that feel good? Feels good every time I say it, man. Glorious gospel. Willingness to yield and give yourself to the things of the Lord. Proverbs 10 says this. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. The Lord will bless. That's what he does. He's in the blessing business. And I want to welcome you to the local chapter of the Bless Me Club. I am the president. I get preachers to go, what do you think, God's just a Bless Me Club? And I'm like, yep. That's what I think. According to my Bible, that's why he made Adam and Eve, to bless them. He didn't create them to work necessarily, particularly apart from them. That's why he made him on the sixth day. He made Adam and Eve on the sixth day. If God wanted us to work, he would have made him on the first day. Okay, Adam, I need you to move these rocks over here, dig a hole. I got to make an ocean. This is going to take you a while, so I'll leave you to it. He created Adam to be blessed to operate in the principles of which he had established in relationship and to make the glory of God known. Adam was created to be blessed and to manifest the blessing of God into the world. You are created to be blessed by God and not that the blessing terminates with you, but that the blessing of God goes forth from your life into the world, into every area of your life. But that's another story. Here's some myths, background and upbringing. I just killed that one. Here's a myth. Poverty is spiritual, true or false? Some of you was like, wait a minute, I was taught this a while in church I was at before, and they said it was spiritual. So apparently Kevin is going in a different direction. Poverty is not spiritual. 
so you know. Poverty is not romantic. Poverty is a curse. It's a curse. Adam was God, men was never intended to be impoverished. And we look at poverty, and particularly sometimes we think poverty is romantic, or we think that poverty is, is just so wonderful. Poverty is wonderful and romantic to people who are not in poverty. Ask a person in poverty, is, this, is, is, is your life romantic because you live in poverty? They're going to tell you no. Poverty is not a simplest, poverty is not a, a desirable state to someone who's in poverty. You say, wait a second, Jesus was poor. I know there's a verse in there somewhere that says Jesus was poor. He became poor that you might become rich. He also put a crown of thorns on, him, on his head so that you wouldn't have to wear it. He also put nails in his hands so that you wouldn't have to take them. He also took whips upon his back so that you wouldn't have to take it. He also experienced the pain of death so that you wouldn't have to receive it. You get the picture? He who was rich became poor that you through him might become rich. And people go, oh, well, that's spiritual, Kevin. That's spiritual. Jesus just wants to make me spiritual rich. You don't understand the gospel. The gospel's holistic which means it encounters all spheres of life, spirit, soul, and body. So Jesus engages us and brings this thing, these things into our life spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. What are you trying to say? We're all going to live in houses on the water and drive cigarette boats? Man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us just had like this, we were just like on the ocean, we just like surrounded the ocean, we all lived on the water, and we all had cigarette boats, and we'd like have drag races. That would be awesome. The blessing of the Lord is in proportion to the character that you possess. That's the key. God will not put blessing upon your life in which your character cannot sustain. That's why there's a constant development of character in your life. That's why God is dealing with you on issues in your life to strengthen your character so that he can put the weight upon your life. That's the word glory. It's a Hebrew word. It's called kavod, and it means weight. So when it says the glory of the Lord, you feel the glory of the Lord. There's a weight. It's the substance. And the glory of God, the weight of God is his goodness. That's why when you're in the presence of the Lord, you just Whoa, I just feel so good. It's the glory of God. It is the weight of his character. The weight of who he is is goodness. And God's design and desire is to put glory on your life, but it is predicated upon you building the character or allowing in partnership with the Spirit to build the character, the sustainable character. If you take, uh, Mickey was here for a service, and Mickey was building a trailer. He does a landscaping business. And uh, I was giving him, I was really getting on him about it because he's like really reinforcing all that thing. I was picking on him a little while ago. It's like, man, dude, you're like totally engineering that thing. I like, what's that thing way? Like but anyway, but he's like, no, I got to put a lot of weight on it. And so I used him as an example. And I said, listen, that guy builds a trailer. And he, if, he, if he does not, if he puts weight on that trailer that that trailer can't sustain, the trailer is going to break and cause a problem for him. And if it breaks on the highway, it's going to cause a problem for a whole bunch of people, right? So the, the essence for him, he knows how much weight he wants to put on that trailer. And so he has to build the trailer in order to carry the weight that he wants to put upon it. This is what God is doing. And so the blessing of the Lord is in proportion to the character in which you demonstrate. He moves us from glory to glory, the weight of goodness to the weight of goodness. How does he do that? By building sustainable levels of character within you. If you cannot run with a footman, how will you contend with the horses? If you can't do the simple things and you don't know remedial math and you can't name your primary colors, we're never going to move you into calculus. That's how it works, <laughs> right? If you cannot contend with, if you can't run with a footman, you will not have the horses. Well, I want the horses. Yeah, but you can't even keep up with the people who are walking. And yet you're asking me for stallions. 
It's not that God won't give you the stallions. He'll give you the stallions. He has to move you from glory to glory through building a sustainable level of character in your life. This is how it works. This is how God is. God doesn't keep anything from you. If you know him, you know that this is not who he is. The problem is always on our side of the equation. We can say that because this is healthy. This is therapy here this morning. The problem, the problem is, always is always on my side. On my side. So God wants to give me some. So what's keeping me from point A to point B? And that's the issue, building the character within your life to sustain it. And he is wonderful at that. Poverty is not spiritual. Money does not always bring happiness. Money is evil and sinful. That is completely not true. Jesus didn't have a problem with money. You guys read your Bible? You know, he slept on the street. Yeah, in the beginning. Then he slept in houses. And then he slept in a garden. He slept where he wanted to. But he didn't have a problem with money. I shared this last week. I mean, Judas is carrying around a money box. They didn't even know how much money was in it. I didn't even know that. If you got five bucks in your wallet, and you go to buy chicken nuggets, and you open up your wallet, and you gave your wallet to your friend, and you knew you had five singles in there when you gave it to him, and then he gives you back the wallet, and you're going to buy your whatever, your chicken fingers, and you pull out, and there's only three bucks. You're like, hey, man, wait, wait a second. Where's those five bucks in here? You would know someone was stealing. They, they had no idea Judas was stealing. They eventually found out, but there was more than enough. And here's, again, the other understanding of the Lord. If he needed money... He calls for it. Might know the fish, right? What'd you do? Push the, what's that? You got it? All right, we're good. The, the fish comes up out of the water. He has to pay the temple tax. Peter, Peter's freaking out. Oh, man, Lord, we just fed the 5,000. We just, we, you know, we, we, we helped build a synagogue over here. You know, we just gave out all the cash. You know, we're, 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 we don't have anything right now. And Jesus is like, just go down to the water. Fish is going to come up. When the fish comes up out of the water, you're going to reach down and take the coin out of your mouth. Now, that's an unusual encounter, okay? That's not something that happens every day. You'd be like, okay, got to go down there, and then boom, here's the, here's the money. If he had a problem, he met, the, he met the need. It's just how he is. He's not intended these things for you. Misuses and hoarding of wealth is what is unspiritual. Misuses and hoarding of wealth is what is sinful and what is foolish. This is what the Bible says. There's a man in Luke chapter 12. He's got all the money in the world. He's like, oh, I'm so rich, man. Dude, I'm the envy of all my neighbors. Oons, oons, oons. Look what I'm driving, you know? I just got a blowout rec uh, stereo system in my new SUV. You know, I got, I got 22s. I got 24s on my ride. You know, I'm the envy of the whole neighborhood. And life's good. Stock market's up. So I'm going to build another barn, and I'm going to take my stuff and stick my stuff in my barn. And the Lord says, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Then, those, then to whom will those things go that you have provided? This is what will happen to all those who are rich towards them, treasure for themselves and are not rich towards God. Here's the issue. Read the text. The issue wasn't the man's resources. Jesus isn't like that disgusting person with all that money. I just can't believe him. He's just totally nauseating me. I just can't believe it. That wasn't the problem. The problem was never the resources. The problem was the direction upon which the resources were pointed. You understand what Jesus is correcting here? He didn't correct the resources. He said the way your resources are pointed back at you. You are not rich towards the things of God. You're rich only towards yourself. Therefore, that's your problem. That's your problem. Rich young rulers see the same thing. Jesus said, sell all that you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. Man was grieved because he had a lot of money. What was Jesus dealing with? Was, Je was Jesus after his money? He was after the covetousness of his own heart. He was coming right against the issue of the man's heart. 
That's what he's doing. The man was covetous within his heart. The man was greedy within himself. And he was actually saying, I keep all the commandments. And it's like Jesus is like, oh, yeah, keep this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no idols before me. Go sell everything that you have. Oh, I can't do that because money was his idol. And so Jesus was pointing out the covetousness that existed within his heart. It wasn't about the money. It was about the issue of his heart, the covetousness within his own heart. Next slide. So here's the deal. So we're going to run through about seven principles of, don't, are, are you hitting the cable? Be careful with the cable. Yeah. We have one up here. So there you go. So we're going to run through about seven principles. When we hear the word of God, we can choose it, we can obey it, we can listen. Jesus says this, Proverbs says this, I lead in the way of righteousness. This is the Lord speaking. In the midst of the paths of judgment. Why does he lead us in these ways? Why does the Lord tell us to do these things? He says, this is what is right, and these are the paths upon which I have judged to be correct. I'm going to lead you in the paths that are right, and I'm going to lead you in the paths that I have judged to be correct. Why? Why? Well, he tells you why that I may cause those who love me to inherit substance. What is his intent? Is his intent merely obedience? No, his intent is blessing. His intent is always blessing. That I may cause those who love me, love is equated to those who obey him, and I will fill their treasuries. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? What an answer, what a question. Oh, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord. Why are you saying this and you don't do it? So Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. So again, this equation of obedience unto the things that God calls us to relates to him as love to him. We think love's an emotional experience. Love's a verb in God's economy. While it's emotional and he wants to experience the emotions of love with you and in you, he also wants you to obey him. That's how he sees love. Right? My wife, it's acts of service. Okay, I don't know if any of you ladies are out there, any guys, but I know I got this one, Crystal, because my wife's like this. And a way that I demonstrate love to her is through acts of service. So, and it's not random acts of service, it's the things that she asked me to do, that I do them for her, and that she equates that as love. So what does she understand it not to be loving when she asks me to do something and then I not do it? She, then, do you love me? Yeah, well, of course I love you. I've been like married to you for like 25 years. I mean, what, what, you know, did I just show up? I just walk in from the garage? I mean, what's going on here? You know, she's like, I don't understand why I asked you to do these things and you just don't do them. You know, because her love language is me doing the things that she asked me to do. So I've learned to discipline myself to speak that language to her by doing the things. One of God's love languages is by doing what we ask him to do or what he asks us to do. Well, understand that Jesus is the source. So we're going to get down on the financial. God, there's like seven tracks. I'm going to take you down real quick. Okay. When it comes to the blessing of the kingdom and the finances, financial issues of the kingdom, the first thing you got to understand is that understand that Jesus is the source of all your provision. And I would add something to that because this is a huge shift in reality. You have to believe that it is God's intent and purpose to bless you. If you cannot get your mind and your heart into that realm, you're going to have a really hard time. You have to pound that in. You have to keep saying that to yourself whether you feel it or not. It is God's belief. It is God's position and purpose to bless you. He uses people, places, and things. This is what he does. The bread is for the children. He gives nations for our ransom. He's not talking about other people. He's talking about those who love him. You've got to get it in your head that it is God's intent to bless you. And so, if it's, Lord, if it's your intent to bless me, if it's your intent to raise me up, then what is it that I need to do? What is it that I need to do? What is it that I'm not doing? See how the equation works? He doesn't magically show up and do it for you. There's a partnership with heaven. It's how it works. It's always been a partnership. 
it forever will be a partnership. It's a partnership. So we got to understand not only that Jesus is our source, but that it's his intent to bless you. He's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another. That's why we celebrate as Christians when God blesses somebody. We should be like, awesome, man. Because that means I can have that too. That's amazing. That's why we celebrate goodness and grace. Wow, God's blessed you with a long, a beautiful marriage. That's amazing. That means I can have that too. This is how it works. No respecter of persons. So the first point, and then we're going to get into this first piece. This message is not on tithing, but, the, but you cannot ignore it when it comes to God's financial plan. So here's where we get people excited, or here's where we get all the pushback. It's right in this pocket right here. We have to understand not only that Jesus is the source, that it's his intent to bless you. We have to understand that giving is essential. It's not optional. It's essential. You can't ignore it. People say, I don't have to give. No, you get to. Well, I don't want to give. Well, then, okay, that's fine. You don't have to. You don't, you, you don't, you can, if you don't want to give, keep it. God says, go home with it. Go on your merry way. But you should adjust your expectations. You're double-minded. God says, do this. You say, I don't want to, or you say, I have a different idea about that. The Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways, which makes you unstable. Let that person believe that they will receive nothing from the Lord. So you don't have to do the things that God is telling you to do. You don't. You don't. In any way. But you will not receive anything from the Lord. In other words, if you want what God has, we have to do what he, God says. You understand that? There's two things, that, there's two aspects of the Father. We seek his face for his beauty, his glory, his honor, his identity for who he is. And in his identity, he reflects back to us our identity. And then there's the seeking of the hand of God. So we seek his face, but we also seek his hand. And which comes first? Well, I don't know, the chicken or the egg. I don't really know because sometimes I'm seeking his hand and, so, and sometimes I'm seeking his face. I'm always seeking his face, but I'm not always seeking his hand. You understand how that works? So it's okay to seek God for who he is and to bless him and to honor him and to receive back from him your identity, but it's also okay to seek God for the hand of blessing. What's in your hand? What's in your hand that he would lay his hand upon us? What's in his hand? God's got something in his hand. He's got something in his hand. He's got it just for you. That's what he's got. What's in your hand? Giving is essential. What does that mean? It means Jesus comes first. No uh, Ford Motor Credit comes first. No uh, Wells Fargo Mortgage comes first. No FP&L comes first. Not according to the Bible, okay? Again, just giving you truths. You can love it or hate it, but I'm giving you the truth. Proverbs says this, honor the Lord with all your substance and the first fruits of all your increase. Okay, there's a command. Now look, what, is there a promise attached to that command? What's the second verse? Can you read it? That's a promise. The promise is attached to the requirement. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses burst forth with new wine. So there's a promise. I will bless you. I will bless you, bless you, bless you. Honor me first. Honor creates access. When we honor the Lord, it creates access. That's the point. We honor the Lord first, and it opens up these promises. Giving is proportional. People say tithing is Old Testament, Kevin. Some of you theologians out there, you want to argue this point with me? And so, yeah, tithing was mandated under the law, but it's brought through the cross. It's no longer mandated. It's given to us as an expression of our heart. So while the Jews were mandated under the law to give, they were legally bound by the covenant of God to give. Now God leaves tithing out there, and he says, demonstrate your love for me by doing this. 
That's what it is. People go, no, I don't believe that. Well, woe upon you, Pharisees and other religious leaders. Matthew 23. Hypocrites, for you tithe of the last mint and tea of your garden. See, he's correcting the tithe. See right there? He's correcting it. Justice and mercy. You should tithe. See that? You know how many times I've heard this verse taught? And they always stop right here. Stop right there. I always go, read on, brother. Read on. Jesus says you should tithe, but you should not neglect the weightier things. In other words, they were given their money, but they didn't say, well, we don't have to forgive. We're just going to give a check. We're going to give our money, but we don't have to love. We're going to give our money, but we don't have to serve. And Jesus is like, no, it's not either or. It's all of it. It's and. It's not one or the other. It's the whole compass of the matter. Okay? So that's the point. Giving is directional. I'll give you the arguments that I get as a pastor because I get these arguments all the time. I, I, seldomly do I get corrected on a teaching except when we teach on finances, then, and, and no one's going to do it today probably because I'm saying this, but I usually get someone to come up to me and they want to correct me when it comes to the finances. They want to tell me what the Bible says and what the Bible doesn't say and all they want to give me some, some, other, some other aspect. And I just tell them, read the book. Read the book. The Bible's not, dis it's not dispensational theology. It's a continuation. It's one for the other. Tithing made it through the cross. The cross is the defining point of all history. There are things in the Old Testament that stopped at the cross. Blood sacrifice has stopped at the cross. The Sabbath day only being on Saturday was altered through the cross. There are things that went through the cross unaltered. There are things that went through the cross and became altered. And there are things that stopped at the cross and ended in finality. The day of holiness unto the Lord of worship was altered. It was never taken away, but it went from Saturday to what the Bible says each and every day as a day unto the Lord. There's a liberty that's attached to it. And by tradition, the Christians assemble on Sunday. But God has that, but you can assemble on Tuesday, you can assemble on Wednesday. That's not the issue of the day that you assemble, it's the issue that you do assemble. So you see the alteration of the, of the cross? Tithing was altered through the cross. Tithing went through the cross. It went from being mandated where you have to and somebody's basically going to come and check up on you if you don't to it went to become an expression of love and gratitude unto the Lord, which is ultimately what he wants, is the expression of love and gratitude unto him. I love you this much. Say 10% was under law, Kevin. Well, I always tell people, what's the standard under grace? If grace abounds more than law and God said give 10 under law, what's, his, what's the standard under grace? Shouldn't it be higher? Just questioning. It certainly shouldn't be lower. This is a spiritual cow. Moo. So when, you see, when you're stepping on somebody's spiritual beliefs and they go, moo. <laughs> I used to was in a church and every time the pastor would say something hard, and every, that not, I'm not picking on you guys at all. I love you very much, so much. As you have no idea. But, he, but the pastor would go, uh, he, would, he would say something and he would go, moo. And so we got a habit of that. He'd say something that kind of hit us where we were at, and we'd be like, moo. <laughs> anyway, giving is directional. It's brought into the storehouse. The, the offering, the tithe and the offering, this is the first fruits of the offering, come to the church. People say, oh, no, I give to the homeless ministry, and I serve the poor over here, and I give to my neighbor when he needs. I give my tithe as God directs me. That's not what the Bible says. That's what you say, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be provision in the house. What? That the church would be established. That the church would be functional and established in the community as a reflection of God's goodness. Glory comes through the church. To him be glory through the church. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. To him be glory through the church. That's the idea. See if I will not hear again. Bring it into my storehouse. Test me, because here comes a promise. 
do what I'm asking you to do and test me if I want to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out your blessing that there wouldn't be any room for. So when it comes to tithing, we got to do, I'll, I'll, I'll do the, the, the low fidelity thing first. You say, I can't give 10%. Well, what can you give? Can you give 2% and believe God in an escalating scale that as you reposition your life and you exit things from your life that are interfering with your offering to God? That's our problem. What is interfering with that? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. But I need, I need that. Do you really? You need his glory more than you need that. I can assure you of that. And so you get rid of these things. And can you give proportionately, consistently, until God will open up and as you reevaluate your life, until you can reach the point where you're giving the full tithe? That's obedience. That's really the idea of obedience. And then the second thing is that um, uh, I had somebody say to me, well, I gave for two weeks, Kevin, and nothing happened. Seriously? Really? You know what I tell people? I've yet to be proven wrong on this. Give the full tithe for 12 months, and you come back and talk to me. The full tithe, not, well, I gave two out of the four Sundays every month, but I didn't, you know, don't, don't come back. Don't come back with a dishonest heart or maybe the Ananias and Sapphira thing. You're going to drop dead, you know. Don't, don't, don't come and say that. No, we gave everything to the Lord. Down they went, you know. Give the full tithe for 12 months and prove it that God will not bless you. You say, I'd have to eat ramen noodles. Eat ramen noodles. Do, do what you got to do, right? Isn't this what it's all about? Are we not the glorifying people of God? Is this not our call? Is this not our destiny? Who are we? If that's not who we are, then go, go join the Moose Lodge because you're, 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 you're going to be very frustrated following Christ if you don't go all in. It's going to be an extremely frustrating experience if you don't go all in. I've had people multiple times come to me and gave the full tithe. Now, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen to you, but I've had two separate occasions, and these are only the stories that I know, where people got raises at the end of the year. And not 10% raises, 15%. You know why? Nobody does business with God and breaks even. You gave me 10, I gave you 15. What, what? I had a guy one time said, this is the first church I ever tied that. Because we teach it. Why do we teach it? Because it's kingdom gospel. That's why we teach it. Because it's Kevin's idea. This isn't my idea. I didn't bake this up. This is God's idea. It's to liberate and exalt his people. It's what gives you access to the higher realms. It's what ignites favor on your life. This guy told me he's worked for this company like six years. He had to practically beg his boss for a raise the year before. He made a commitment because he heard me say something like I just told you. Give the full tithe for 12 months. Don't hold it back. Give the full tithe. And he did it. And at the end of the month, at the end of the year, he just was randomly called into his boss's office. The company was making cutbacks because he thought he was losing his job. The guy sits him down and he says, you're one of our most underrated employees. And he said, we've been evaluating your pay scale and we're raising you 15%. I've had that happen multiple times. I had a guy tithe his way right out of this church. He got promoted so many times. Came to me, he started talking to me about tithing. And you tell me, I just say, look, I'm not checking the record, so you don't have to impress me. You know, it's not even about pressing Kevin because I don't even know. I know numbers. I don't know. Pe I don't know individual things. That's, I, I don't. I don't know any of that. But that's the point. And this guy began to tithe, and I just began to tell him, and he got promoted, 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 promoted. Is a promotion going to happen to you? No, but it might. I can assure you, blessing is going to be released. I can assure you. But you must be consistent, and you must be faithful. Go home and read Malachi three. You want to really understand what's going on there? Read Malachi three. They say, oh, Lord, we've prayed, and you don't hear. We've cried out, and you've not done anything. We're wearing sackcloth. We've got dirt on our heads, Lord. Why don't you see us? And the Lord's like, this isn't what I'm talking about. 
you're robbing me. How are we robbing you, Lord? Oh, we would never rob you in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. What's a curse? Is God cursing them? No. Curse is absence of blessing. It means there's no blessing on you because you're not obeying me. So he wasn't, he was just saying, look, you want to understand why you're in the position? Here's why. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Okay, well then continue to be self-deceived because that's what you are. People that don't believe it, when the Lord is speaking it to you clearly, you are self-deceived. Self-deceived. And it's always out of a position of sacrifice. I ripped buttons off my shirt when I didn't have money. I have things, people are like, where's the button on your shirt? I took it off and gave it in the offering because I didn't have any money. Literally broke, like broke. I lived in my car. See, you don't know what it's like to be homeless. Yes, I do. When I first moved down here, I didn't have any money. I lived in my car. Slept on the job sites back in the day when you could do that. Yeah. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to give an offering. I know what it's like to sacrifice. I know what it's like to not have my bills paid. I know what that's like. I know what it's like. But I also know that no matter where I am, I will honor the Lord. That's my heart. And when your heart changes in that way, blessing, the favor of heaven moves over your life. And when you start to give, and again, I didn't mean to go off on this because I got other things to say, but I feel like this is for somebody here today. Somebody's asking God for something, and he's making it clear to you. I know what it's like. It's always out of a position of sacrifice. It's always out of a position of pain. It's never out of a position of abundance. You will elevate to that place. God will make it to where it's just easy for you. Now you're at a place where you can give. He will do it, I assure you. I've seen him do it all a thousand times. And then what he do when, it, when it's easy for you is he puts another challenge on you. And he calls you beyond obedient to generous. And he says, now I want you to give me 15. Now I want you to give me 20. And, and again, that's on you. That's on that, but the, I'm just showing you way the way the Lord works. Because why is he calling you for that? Why would he do something like that? Because he wants to increase you. But again, blessing is relational to the character in which you possess. I told you guys a story a few weeks back. I knew a guy. He had His business was doing like nothing. He had like $35,000 a year in business, and he was basically choking. He didn't know what to do. He comes to me. He says, I don't know. Would you pray for me for my business? I said, what's the problem? He tells me. I said, you got to give. You got to tithe. Oh, I can't afford it. Well, why? I don't know what to tell you. I'm just telling you what, what, the, what the Bible says. He began to do it. He began to be faithful. He got almost, uh, within, within about 15 months, he got contracts that were near a million dollars. So he went from a business that was $35,000 to a business now that was close to doing contracts of almost a million dollars. Is that going to happen to you? I don't know. That's what happened to him. You know, I know something's going to happen. That's what I can assure you if you are faithful and consistent at it. And so I sat down with the guy at, at uh, lunch, and I was like, man, that's great, man. I'm so excited. He's telling me all the blessings God was doing. I was like, cool, here's some opportunities for you to give. Here's some opportunities to pull those resources out of the barn and help move the gospel forward. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not giving anymore. I felt like the Lord has told me I don't have to give anymore. So he told me. I don't know what happened to him. I don't even know where he's at. But I can assure you that God will, God will reduce you to the level that your character can sustain. You'll stay at the level that your character can sustain it. And you've got to take a step. That's, this, is, this, is, this is kingdom gospel, man. This is kingdom gospel. This is how it works. You don't do business with God and break even. It just, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I, 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 I high karate myself. I force myself to give. When I don't feel like giving, I want to punch myself right in the face because I know it's wrong. And you say, do you feel the emotions of that? Absolutely. I'm human. I'm natural, just like you. But then I <laughs> slap myself out of it and remember that I honor the Lord. And I make myself honor the Lord. It's just the principle. Next slide, please. So here's the other one. So the second one, the third one is to live on a budget. So what is God's financial plan? There's a budget plan that God would have for you. And we look at budget as a bad word. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm over, guys. I'm sorry I'm over. It's okay, it's okay. Is it all right? 
No, some of you are like, don't look at me, man. <laughs> you got overdraft protection? All right, man. I'm gonna, there's, only, there's only a couple, there's only this slide and one more, and that's it. So we live on a margin. What does budget look like? Well, budget to the Christian is spend less than you earn, right? You say, that's not the American way, Kevin. That's just completely un-American. You mean I'm supposed to spend less than I make? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the rich rules over the poor, and anybody know this one? The borrower is the slave of the lender. You borrow, you become the slave of the ones from whom you borrow from. The Bible actually tells us that God would will that we borrow from none, but that we, in turn, are the lenders. That's God's intent for his people. Wouldn't that be great if God's people were the ones doing all the interest loaning? Right? Wouldn't that be wonderful that you would borrow from none and you would lend to many? First Corinthians, moreover, it is required for stewards to be found faithful. We have to be faithful with what he has given to us. So budgets, this is a little just window into my own life. Budgets for me are like, you know, I don't know about you. Some of you, you just really are into it. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're the more analytical of, of, the, of the family here. So you really like to pencil in all the numbers. I, I'm not that guy. I'm not like, okay, I spent $89 and 15 cents at the grocery store, $31 in gas. You know, I'm not totaling all up. And so I feel like God showed me this a long time ago, and it's a good time to revisit it because it reminds me of a principle of having a targeted budget, budget plan. Ten, everybody say it together. 10, 10 50, 10, 30. So here's the deal. First part of the, first part of the income is to the Lord. It's the 10%. The second part of the, of the budget is your fixed costs. So you're to live at your fixed costs. This is, again, a healthy economic plan. Fixed costs are for your, your living expenses to exceed no more than 50% of your income. What does that look like? Your car, your, your transportation expenses should not exceed any more than 50% of your income. Banks, when they loan, they have something called a debt-to-income ratio. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've ever went for a mortgage, you were educated on this. If your mortgage, my banker, she absolutely knows that. And so they look at percentages of what your income is based upon what your debt is owed, and they determine the, lo the loan-to-value that you can have when you're borrowing. And where this thing, when we had all the housing crisis, where everything kind of went off the rails and off the reservation, is that there was a lot of breaking of protocols. So, for instance, if the protocol was between 33 and 39 percent of your uh, income, you can, you can, you know, your spendable income is what you can borrow. Well, they started pushing those numbers, and ultimately it ended up in a bad, bad place. So you have to look at your fixed costs and say, do my fixed costs, my car, my housing, these, do these costs exceed 50% of what I'm currently making? And if the answer to that question is yes, well, you have two options. One, you have to reduce your, well, you have three options. One, you have to reduce your costs. Two, you have to increase your income. Or three, you're not going to have a lot of discretionary spending. And anybody who bought that new car and has got that really glorious payment, you just saw your discretionary spending go way down. You know, some, we know what we're talking about, right? You know, it's only, it's only a monthly payment, yeah? I look good driving it, yeah, but how do you feel when you're writing that check, man? I mean, that's, a, that's the problem. And so we have to consider these things. This is how God would have us to be. So we give the offering. We, give, we live on 50% of our fixed. We take the same amount that we're giving an offering that we give into a savings, so we create a savings. Why do we need to save? People are like, I don't understand. That's saving. Again, Kevin, that's just not American. I don't understand that. I'm supposed to spend what I make, you know? And you, you, you have a savings. Why? Because stuff happens, doesn't it? Cars break. Tires go out. You know, all kinds of crazy things. You got to fly to see a relative. You didn't expect that. You know, there's all kinds of things that happen. And so your offering and your, and your savings should be equal. Your living expenses should equate roughly to around 50% of your, of your operating expenses. And then 30% is discretionary income. That's awesome, right? 
And so what happens when our, when, our, when our fixed costs are too high, your discretionary income goes down. So what you have to do is you've got to take a hard look at this, you know, and, and they've got to kind of go, well, I, uh, where I'm living is not equating to what I'm making. Well, then you've got to move. What I'm driving is not equating to what I'm making. Well, then you need to change cars. I just talked to a person this week, and i um, been doing financial counseling, it seems, and a person was talking to me, and they're upside down on their car, uh, like a lot. And so they've been trying to refinance their car, but no finance company will refinance their car because the car is too upside down. And the person is asking me, well, what do I do? And I go, well, you're stuck with it. And I said, your best strategy is to increase your monthly payment slightly and then to make, uh, divide your monthly payment into two. You know, because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're hitting the principal without the interest. And so I gave her the numbers and told her a rough plan, and she came back and she said, this is the equivalent of refinancing my, because she looked it up online to see if I was lying to her. And, you know, and your pastor, I don't know if you're lying to me, but uh, she's, and, and she looked it up online, and she found that it was effectively reducing her interest rate in half, and she would save a whole bunch of time on her car loan simply by making double payments. So if the payment's 500, so you pay 500 the first month, then for the next month you're paying 250 mid-month, 250 first month. You know you're making these payments, but you're doubling up, the, you're splitting the payment. You do the same thing on your mortgage. You know finance companies don't like to tell you that because they lose out on the interest. They're making money on the interest, and so what you're doing is you're reducing your principal balance a lot faster. You're taking time off the loan. These are all simple things that we can, we, we, if we we learn, we can do these things. And so those are ways, this was a way for her to refinance her car without having a, a, a car company actually step in and say, hey, I'll do that for you because she couldn't get it refinanced because she's like a lot of money upside down on the car, right? And so her, she's like, what do, you, what do you think I should do? I'm like, well, if you, you she's like, I got another car, car place that'll sell me a car. And I go, yeah, they're gonna transfer that balance onto the new one. And I said, you're gonna be forever paying on that balance. And I said, now you're gonna be paying their interest, you know, it's just it's just a compounding effect. So sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. You just got to suck it up. Do what you got to do. You know, you just got to do it. You know, you, you're you're in this situation. You don't you won't be in this situation forever. It may be uncomfortable for two or three years, but if you will discipline yourself into these directions for a couple of years, you can experience a lifetime of freedom and new knowledge. So there's hope. Um, flexible spending, create create a savings. There's a great book. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, Total Money Makeover. Some of you have heard of it. You know, some of you even have it. My question is, have you read it? Um, Dave Ramsey, you know, I mean, great, all kinds of stories in the book. There's stories of situations that are probably a lot worse than yours. So you can read it and go, woo, my situation was bad, but it wasn't that bad. I feel a lot good better about that. You know, this guy, I wasn't that far down. So create a savings. Why should we create a savings? Things happen. That's what the Bible says. There is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, savings. But the foolish person spends it all. Ouch fool. I didn't even know it. You know, that's what we do. Stay out of consumer debt. What's consumer debt? Okay, let's say it together. Not all debt, not all debt. is bad debt. Bad There's equitable debt. That's not bad debt. There's business debt. That's equitable debt. That's not bad debt. Your house is not necessarily bad debt unless you didn't get a really bad, unless you got a really horrible price on it. So, you know, Christians, we all talk about be debt free, debt free. Listen, your house is an equitable asset. It's going to increase in value. You understand that? So if, as long as you're fitting into the mirror or the criteria of which the budget is calling for and your payment is within the range of which you can afford, you know, not what, you know, the mortgage broker tells you, but you, you understand you can afford. You know, mortgage brokers will tell you, not bankers, of course not. But no, I mean, I'm not picking on anybody. If you're a mortgage broker, you're going to be like, I'm a mortgage broker, man. Boom, boom, boom. I'm just you guys gonna pick on me? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm gonna get beat up. I'm like, oh my gosh! But no, I've, I've been in a more, I've been in a real estate investment, so I know mortgage brokers tell you anything. Oh, you can totally afford that. Oh, absolutely. 
yeah, but I only make, how is it that I can afford a $2,500 payment when I only make $1,500 a month? Don't worry about it, man. Dude, you can afford it. I'm telling you right now, you can afford it. <laughs> but, you know, so houses are not, not bad debt. Business debt that makes you money is not bad debt. You understand that? Bad debt is consumer credit cards. Bad debt, ready, is your car. But I need a car. Yes, you do need a car. But do you realize you go to a dealer, you pay full price. The minute you sign that paper and drive it off the lot, it's gone. Try to drive your car for a week, buy a brand new car, drive it for a week, and then try to list it and see if you're going to get the amount of money that you just paid for it. You won't because it's a depreciating asset. And that's not to say we don't all hop the bus and get bicycles, but I'm saying consider that when you're buying a car. Consider that when you're spending money. Is this an equitable asset? Am I going to school just because I want to go to school? I had somebody one time ask me, do you think student loans are bad debt? I'm like, student loans are not bad debt as long as the, 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 the school that you went to school for is now got, you got a job out of that, what you went to school for. Where, where school debt is bad debt is when you go to school, like I've had a guy, he went to school, he had an accountant, had a degree in accounting, and he's going to be a laborer on a construction site. Now, that's not really the smartest thing to do. I actually asked him, why, if you have an accounting degree, are you pushing a broom on a job site? And he said, I don't like, be, I don't like being an accountant. Well, he now has bad debt because he's accumulated large sums of student loans that now he can't, he's, he's now in that position. And there's a lot of people that are in that position. And, and that's not to say that you, you just have to come to that reality. You have to come to that reality and find a way out of that reality. So student loans are not bad debt provided that you get the degree and use the degree to do, do the job that you went to school for. And that's where we get our 20-somethings, parents, where they, we, they just gonna go to college and just gonna kinda explore. Ooh. And then they get out of college and they're like, did you know I owe $40,000 in school loans? Where did that come from, you know? Well, that was you frilling around for four years, you know? So that's the idea. So don't co-sign, that's a little thing. Don't be usury for a friend. If you co-sign, people always want you to co-sign. And the only person that loses is the co-signer. Anybody ever had a bad co-signing experience? Don't raise your hand. But I've never met a person that really had a, well, I just love co-signing for people. Because if the person you co-sign for doesn't pay the debt, you get to pay it on their behalf. I knew a person, a girl came to this church. She co-signed on a loan for a girl that was coming because they were friends, roommates, co-signed on a loan. Girl bolts, leaves, goes out of state, defaults on the loan. Where's the finance company going to look? They're not looking for her now. They're looking for and she's like, well, what do I do? And I'm like, you sign the paper. There's not a whole lot you can do. You know, they're going to come after, they're going to look to you to now pay this note that your friend took off with and you signed on. So just a little, just words to the wise. The Bible, I'll tell you, there's a verse that says, do not pledge yourself as usury for a friend. So there's actually a verse that tells you not to co-sign. Next slide, last slide. Seek counsel for major purchases. If you're going to have a major purchase, ask some people. It's wise to ask some people. That's a wise thing to do. If you're gonna buy a car, ask somebody who owns that car. If you're gonna buy a house, ask somebody that lives in that neighborhood or what their experience is like. Nothing worse than having to go and, and, and go into a bad experience and then you come out of that experience and you're like, oh man, I could have got a better deal or I should have asked so-and-so. So seeking counsel when it comes to your finances is a really smart thing. If you're an investor, ask to other investors, talk to other people who have done the same thing, get that counsel, get that understanding, go in with your eyes open, not with them closed. Without counsel, purposes and plans are disappointed, but there's, in the multitude of counsel, their plans are established. 
So we need counsel. We need wisdom. We need people who are smarter. One of the best things you could do is get around people who are smarter than you in, the, in other areas. People who are financially smarter than you. People that are intellectually smarter than you. People that are relationally smarter than you. All of you have genius in you, by the way. You just may not know where it lies, but every one of you, God has created genius within you. Philippians, I'm not speaking because of need. Contentment's a big issue. And then we'll finish with this. I'll just run through this real quick. Let's just say this together. Contentment doesn't mean I'm where I want to be. It means I'm satisfied with where I'm at. Contentment's a choice. It's okay, you want to whatever. This is your goal, and you're here. Well, contentment says, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm going to, I'm going to be satisfied with where I am, knowing that I can still get. Contentment doesn't mean that the place that you're at is your final destination. It means being grateful and happy where you are, knowing that something is greater around the corner. Paul says, I'm not speaking because of need, because I've learned in whatever circumstances, contentment is learned, ha ha, it can, I've learned in every circumstance that, uh, to be content. So what's the point? Paul was not where he wanted to be by any means, but he says, I'm choosing contentment because I know that I'm going to get there, or I know I'm at least going to head in that direction. The Bible tells us to buy truth, not sell it, get wisdom and instruction and understanding, which means if we are at a place where we're not really satisfied, choose contentment and change something in order to alter the path. Faithfulness over time produces lasting results. That's what God is a long-term investor. Wisdom a house is built, through understanding it's established. No, through knowledge, rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Wisdom's very important. Amen. God's got lots of you. Listen, God's a visionary God. We're a visionary people. He calls us forward. And you have dreams and purposes and things within your heart that when you submit them back to the Lord, what the Lord is going to do is he will affirm them or he will show you things about the vision that you have in your heart that you didn't see. He may shift your plan slightly, but it is always going to relate back to you for your good. What God does is we present these things to the Lord, and then we allow him to instruct us in how we get there. He will instruct you in how you get there. It's important to understand that. But it's also important as a Christian to understand just like elementary school, when your child goes to kindergarten, preschool, and elementary school, they're taught a basic set of skills that they are expected to carry with them into their, am I, you guys understand what I'm saying? They're expected to know their ABCs, they're expected to know their primary colors, they're expected to know remedial math, they're expected to know that in order for them to move into the greater places. As a Christian, what we do in the church is we got, we got Christians, we've not even taught them the basics. And, they all, and everybody's wondering, well, where's graduate school? How do we get to grad school? Well, dude, you don't even know. You don't even know red is red and blue is blue. You don't know one plus one is two. We can't even apply the basic principles of our faith. There should come a time when these things, the Bible actually says, I shared it last week, let us move past the elementary teachings and let us move on to maturity. And so these things, this, this, this type of thing that I'm sharing with you, again, it's not perfect. It's a direction in which you're to point your life because we're humans, we're flawed. But the point is, is that God is trying to teach us primary colors here. He's trying to give us remedial math. And these, these skill sets that he's implying is that these things are taken forward, right? If you're in high school and somebody's got to sit you down and show you the color chart, there's a problem, right? They got to sit you down and show you that one plus one is two, there's a problem, right? You shouldn't even be sitting there. This is the same way within the gospel. We have to learn the basic elements of our faith because God is taking us somewhere, right? 
Jesus is called rabbi, he's called teacher, which means he teaches us that we would learn. And so these skill sets, God wants world changers, people. He wants world changers. Come on. Every Christian possesses it, but not all will operate in it. That's the difference. So the question is, how do we operate in this? Isn't that the question? God says, I can do it. Well, I want it. So what do I got to do to get there? Well, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Do you want it bad enough to change? Do you want it bad enough to shift? Do you want it bad enough to abandon your way of thinking and begin to think differently? How bad do you want it? That's really what it comes down to. We think Jesus is going to do it all for us. That's, that's, a, that's a false gospel. Destiny shows up wearing work clothes, people. Knock, knock. Destiny's here. Jesus likes dickies. What, what? Let's go. Let's get to work. We go, oh, I didn't think it had to do anything with work, Lord. I thought you were just going to do it for me. I thought it was the Shazam box. You just show all the stuff up, and Jesus, you're like a, a bellhop or an ATM machine, and it all just pops out at me every time I ask. you got to work. We'll build and be a part of what he's doing. So anyway, I'll close right here. I've got some food. going to have a baptism. And uh, yeah, I love you. Love you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> you guys know John Maxwell?